everybody. Welcome to Sweet Morgan Life Live. Today we're going to be talking about holistic truth. Mm. My name is Curtis Childs, and I'm going to be your host. And with me is Dr. Jonathan Rose. Hey, Curtis. Thanks, hey, everybody. Thanks so much for hanging out. So fun. So as we do on these live programs, we are going to be following up on a previous topic and giving it a good mm. chit-chat. But first, if you've been following our show for a little while, you've got to do us a favor. You don't have to, but please like and subscribe. That means a lot to YouTube, which means a lot to us because it's the way in which we reach new people. And that kind of yeah, thing. that's but right. if you just started watching, don't like and subscribe. We need to get to know each other first. So in this episode, we're going to do just that. We're following up from the previous show we did which was how to test a spiritual idea. Mm. Because look at us. We're this show uh, telling everybody this spiritual thing is true, this is true, and there's a million. Think about it this way. Yeah, yeah. Trust us. And, and on things that are hard to observe for yourself. So right. is there any kind of how quality? You know? Yeah, is there yeah. any kind of quality control on, on this stuff that teachers are, are putting out into the world? So we tried to design an instrument that would allow us to examine whether something is true with it, that has a spiritual basis to it. So we are going to talk, we're going to expand on a theme here that we had in there. There's sort of two things we're covering in this show. We're expanding on this idea that the import, the, of the importance of including love in the pursuit of truth. Mm. And that Swedenborg just inexorably ties those things so together. So important, that's right. We're also going to dip into how the ancient people defined truth and wisdom and, mm. and how that their priorities were set by this joining of love and truth. Oh, interesting. Yeah. So let's do that, but I'd say let's get warmed up. Let's connect with the audience first. We're going to do our audience participation icebreaker section starting now. So get ready to answer a question if you want. This is where everybody in the chat takes the time to answer a question that's about to flash on the screen. We do the same thing and it just gets our, it allows us to decompress from the day and move into a space in which we're thinking about spiritual or whatever you want to call it, ethical, philosophical, moral type things. And hopefully uh, then we waste all of our bad thoughts on this question and then we get to the real stuff for the show. Let's see what the question is today. What makes a spiritual concept ring true to you? Mm. And this is this is like saying, what's the, you know, if you were to bypass the stuff we had on the previous show, what's the gut check for you? What makes you, because there's so many things coming at you, what makes you feel mm. like, I, th I want to look at this one more, or this, there's something to it. F if, if you stop on YouTube to perhaps watch this show, why? What made you do this? So what, what do you think? Yeah, well, one thing that I would apply to both spiritual and other kinds of concepts is just how does it align with other things that I think are so, uh -huh. or things that I've read, things that I've, I've read in sources that I trust, or, or things like things that people have said. Um, so that kind of alignment seems really basic for how does something, as I think about it, even if it's a surprising new thing, I think, oh yeah, no, that aligns with this, or yeah, that fits with the other thing, or makes sense yeah. in some way. But um, particularly with spiritual truth, I think sometimes, actually, if it's a really profound thing, it can even move you to tears or something. You know, the way that it affects your heart, you see the love in it or something. And and, uh, and sometimes that, that too seems like, oh, it's so beautiful. The beauty of it, I might say. I, I agree with you. Um, if, if something gives me pause and I think, I wouldn't have thought of that, but that's really cool. That makes me think that there may be some truth in it. 
that you're you're sort of uncovering this this masterpiece that that I that I didn't have a better concept before. And often I'll get that if I'm reading Swedenborg and he's going to explain some kind of Bible passage or something that I <coughs> excuse me didn't think was that elegant or anything. But when he gives, oh, this is what that means, and suddenly I'm like, oh, uh, that's that's right, that's nice. I like that. And then that's if good. something is going to be true. This is similar to what you said. It sticks. It fits in with other things, and it, to me, it's got to feel like the same author wrote it that wrote the rest of what's true. The rest of reality. I like that because it, yeah. yeah do, would it? Would it? It's not like a brand shock that wait. All this stuff is true, and that that doesn't seem to fit. But if it has the same and maybe the same number of conditions that are with it, or the same sort of mechanistic nature, it's got to seem like okay. Yeah, that. That could be in the same. That could be in the same book. You know, the same mind came up with that as came up with everything else. Yeah, and it seems to me that spiritual truth is not something that is um, really as it is in itself. It's not ugly or awkward or right. Uh, you know, yeah. It doesn't sort of torment you to think about it or something. You know. Yeah, that's right. And uh, and of course, it's a process. How I how I see particular concepts evolves, and some become some are late bloomers. I hear late them initially. Bloomers. I say, oh, that's that's really dumb, but now it's my favorite one. So yeah, a lot of what Swedenborg says seems very strange to me at first, frankly. Yeah. But as I live with it and sit with it, it I see it playing out around me. Yeah, that's good. Okay, everybody, what what are your answers? That's what we're really interested in. Type them in. We'll be grabbing them, and at the end of the show, we'll come back and read what everybody had to say. All right, we're broken in. Let's get to talking about the nature of love and truth together, and specifically, what makes a truth whole. And upright. Hmm. <clears throat> here's a here's a concept that Swedenborg is throwing out, which is that truth isn't necessarily always the whole truth, which you hear people say, but that even truth can not be upright; that it's not performing the function it's supposed to perform. And we we get wow. into the conversation through Secrets of Heaven. 612. Truth can originate in many other places, but truth that grows out of the good embraced by charity and received from the Lord, this truth is called whole or upright. So what does that mean? Um, what, what's it, what is that? Unswedenborg that for me. That seems really deep, doesn't it? But one thing that it seems to say to me is that truth can come from various different discipline. I mean, you can have truth about uh, urban planning, or sure. you can have truth about medicine, or something, yeah. you know, all kinds of different sources. But there's a particular kind that has that wholeness in it. And we'll be exploring that a little more. Uh, you could think of whole as being uh, that it has everything it needs in order to thrive, to be active, to be productive. Truth has got to do something. This is a, a refrain Swedenborg returns to time yeah, after time. It's not a it's not an inert lump or something. That yeah, was the um, that's right. the application lens in our microscope last episode. So let's look at a physical analogy or a correspondence to okay. this. So if okay. you look in the natural world or the, the biological world, heat is this vital element that needs to be there generally for organisms to exist 
and be active. In, in other mm. words, to be whole and be performing their function. So to, to get the, all animals, pretty much, uh, there's some extremophile bacteria living, but still sure, they have sure. to have some modicum of heat. Oh, yeah. But in, the, in life around us, we see animals have to find some way to deal with temperature and control it to some, some degree. You have sort of two categories there. Generally, there's your, your endotherms, which are mammals and birds, which produce their own heat. They say, I've got to be warm enough, so I'm going to burn my energy just to make it warm in here. I'm going to stick wood in the furnace just to do that. And then you have ectotherms like reptiles. It's not that they don't care what their body temperature is. They just right. they just interact with the environment to get there. They don't have the mechanism to generate it themselves, so they sit on a hot rock or something. Yeah, and it's not just that, that this lizard is saying, I just need to get as hot as possible. He'll go sit out there, but then once the temperature goes too high, he's got to go into the shade. Yeah. They're still trying to maintain, to maintain control over heat, just using different techniques. And that's unique to the animal kingdom. You really don't see that with plants. Oh, yes, you do. <laughs> plants totally need warmth to thrive yeah. as well. I mean, you could picture a barren, arctic, snowy landscape as yeah. opposed to a lush jungle. And a big factor there is the temperature. Temperature allows more, the air to hold more uh, moisture and, yeah. and so on. And so a lot of plants have to go into a kind of dormancy or minimal functioning in the cold, whereas heat allows plant life to be exuberant and abundant and vigorous yeah as you get colder either by going north or south <clears throat> or going up or down in or going up in elevation you get to like the tree line where no trees can grow above it because yeah. it's too cold up there that's right so in nature as we've established when coldness replace displaces heat then life goes dormant uh, or dies and something interesting that swedenborg says is that it's the same in spiritual terms when you're talking about and he would place that heat and cold he would align heat with charity with love for people yeah and what's the opposite of that love is hatred so even though people may talk about burning with hatred and there's yeah. there's something to that but still essentially it's really cold swedenborg says cold-hearted or that was cold you know we talk that way we do well. we do talk that way yeah that's right and uh so here's secrets of heaven 1860 that says when hatred displaces charity, meaning love of the neighbor, yeah. goodwill towards others, the darkness is so deep that we lose any awareness at all of the presence of evil. Fascinating. That's so, a wild statement, isn't it? Yeah, go, I want to see what that means. Still less do we see that the evil is bad enough to send us to hell in the next life. When people hate, they sense a certain pleasure and a certain energy in their hatred and the pleasure and energy themselves make it nearly impossible for those people to see hatred <coughs> as anything but good. I feel like that's so psychologically insightful because it is, isn't it? Especially something having energy that when you feel like this is you know this kind of grudge I'm holding is really motivating me to do things you think there's got to be something good about it and there he's saying mm. that that the state of hell is not that Oh, there's terrifying evil all around. It's that you don't even notice evil anymore. You're numb, yeah. Because you're, numb, you're like, right. no, this is great. Whatever I've got here is great. You don't know the true character of it. Mm. So this this love and charity, this or the spiritual heat, has to be present for in order for any truth or a bit of information to be alive. And this would be alive, being judged by how productive it is. Does it do the good work of God like it's supposed to? 
And that business of whole and upright makes yeah. me think about the things it says in the Bible about the upright. Um, and this, again, is this, so we did this physical world correspondence where we're out there looking at plants and animals, but the same correspondences hold up in the Bible. In the Bible. So this is Swedenborg talking about sections of the Bible. This is Secrets of Heaven 6.12. The upright individual mentioned in Bible passages... And when we have those brackets there, I'm assuming he just quoted a ton of Bible. Probably did. I haven't gone back to look at it. That, that's what he did. he'll say. The, the upright something, something. All these different places in the Bible showing you where you have it. Is one whom goodness inspires to be truthful. Or in other words, a person who speaks and acts on truth out of love for others. Because there's no guarantee you can be using the truth for totally antisocial purposes. Absolutely. Oh yeah, you could you could devastate. You know, there are movies about people who just devastate other people with this brutal, you know, honesty or yeah. something. And, yeah. Or you take a, a truth out of context to mislead people. So it's got to have the right motive behind it. Mm. And this is clear from the way the word speaks of uprightness. Often it uses the words walk, path, or way, and right or rectitude in connection with the upright person or with integrity, and these words relate to truth. Yeah, the way you walk, and that has to do with how you live, the path, and yeah. upright, and all that. You see that in the Psalms a lot, and, and so on. So um, this is actually a description of people there are standing for the truth, and that the truth has to be used in the correct way, uh, or else it's not really true. It's very interesting. I think Swedenborg was quite uh, unusual in his time period for believing that love actually takes priority over truth. Because right. in that Enlightenment time of, of philosophy, uh, truth had a very high, you know, that, that was the biggest thing to, to have, to have judgment and accuracy yeah. and science and, and so on. And, and so for him to say, well, no, no, it depends on, if it's coming from love, then it's true, but otherwise not. Yeah. So that whole and upright is a very interesting thing to it's think sort of about. With just like this hippie, sappy sentimentality. But no, he's saying that that is the organizing principle. Tell me, you were saying before the, about a tree and the idea of the, oh, the leaves connected and right. not connected. Yeah, when I, when I thought of this, the, the idea of truth having different origins or something, I was picturing a tree because truth, what I'm just realizing from what Swedenborg says, is that truth is the kind of entity that can either be alive or not alive. And I thought about the trees. Here in the northern hemisphere, the, the trees are starting to turn colors and mm -hmm. lose their leaves and so on. And so you can have a leaf that's on a tree and it's alive, or you can have it on the ground and it's no life. It's completely separate from the tree. And it's kind of like what he's saying. Uh, truth can be attached to love, in which case it's alive. Oh, you can find lots of truth that isn't. It can be all over the place, yeah. but it's no longer alive. It, it's a, of a different character or something. If you think about finding a leaf that just fell off a tree, it's still a leaf. And if you picked it up, you'd think this is a leaf. Just yeah. like you can take a bit of truth and use it out of context away from love. But if you could really see into that leaf, what's going on at a microscopic level is completely different once it's died and fallen off the tree. Yeah. There's not, the little cells aren't doing what they used to do. The little like tree sap stuff isn't rushing around it's the not pores. not feeding. Yeah, right. It's, it's not breathing for the tree and yeah. all that cool stuff. And the, yeah, the, the, the whole function of the leaf was to breathe for the tree and to uh, gas exchange and everything. It's not performing that. So only in the most superficial way is it still the same leaf. It's in, in the, the things that matter about it, it's totally different. And so it is with truth when you take it out of the loving context 
it really actually operates in. Yeah. So there's right. there's a little bit about the truth, and this mm. this was something so important to ancient people that it actually sort of dictated what was at the pinnacle of their intellectual society. Mm. We're going to get into that in the next part. If you spend any time in Swedenborg, you're going to come across the churches, the progression of the churches. And first, you've got to learn, when he says churches, he's not talking about, like, Episcopalians and then Catholics. And let alone buildings. No, let on, alone on buildings. On Main Street and High Street. And he all. sometimes will talk about them in that way, but you, when he talks about the history of the churches, he's talking about these spiritual episodes in the, in the human uh, mental and emotional history where we change the way we think and feel about the world That's regardless right. of uh, religious denominations or, or, or whatever worse external rites and worship look like. So there's this huge progression, but he generally breaks it up into five major, how am I doing, five That's major episodes. Awesome. Yeah. This is good, this is good. So we're going to talk about the very first of those episodes which was what he calls the most ancient church. And right. in the most ancient church, they had what's called direct perception. So truth to them mm. was not a matter of debating and um, mulling over and looking for YouTube shows to find it. It was something they had just knew intuitively, like animals have instinct. But that didn't last forever. No, that's right. And then another era came along that he calls the ancient merely ancient, you know, as opposed to the most whippersnappers. <laughs> the next year, the ancient church needed to get its truth in a different way. Uh, it needed to come through knowledge. It wasn't sort of ding, oh, I get it. it. You had to learn things and piece it together. And so that raises an interesting question, which was to the ancient people, what was the most crucial valuable kind of knowledge? What was the wisdom that was most highly prized? Was it something like alchemy or how to discern the meaning of hieroglyphics or how to build, you know, your pyramids or, right. or whatever it might be? Uh, no, Swedenborg says, it was something different. Yes, you look at our modern society, what do we value the most? I don't know, would you think of like a a theoretical nuclear physicist, or maybe a, a doctor who has a great knowledge of anatomy. Yes, right, right. Some tremendous healer or something, right. Yeah, so, so what, or, or you're, you're really smart or really savvy, maybe those are the greatest kind of wisdom to attain, but uh, in its prime, the ancient church, according to Swedenborg, considered a certain kind of knowledge and truth to be the most valuable and important, mm. and Swedenborg describes it here. The suspense is killing me. Oh, man. Palpable. Since the ancients used representative images and symbols to stand for the Lord's kingdom, where nothing but heavenly and spiritual love exists, they also had doctrines that dealt exclusively with love for God and charity for their neighbor. These doctrines, too, gave them a reputation for wisdom. Mm. So how do you become known as a learned person? Right. You know about loving God system. and loving the neighbor. What's the street cred? Right. It showed them what charity was, yes. A desire to serve others without any thought of repayment. And what the neighbor they were to treat charitably was. Everyone everywhere, although in a different way, for each neighbor. Now, wait a second. That's, that's, that's an amazingly broad definition of the neighbor. It's not <laughs> the person next door. No. Nope. Everyone everywhere. Although you have to admit, 
that you treat a, a violent, insane person in a somewhat different way yeah. than you do, you know, a calm, reasonable person or whatever. So. Yeah, but uh, the, I mean, the headline there is, how did you get street cred? How did you come to be known? We often talk about Swedenborg as being like a leading scientist in his day because he knew all these fields cold, like the back of his hand, so he was a rock star. Right. But that, in back in the day, wouldn't make you a rock star. No. Knowing about how to treat, how to recognize the needs people had and address those in the most prudent way, that was what made you a rock that star. That was the top. We did a show that referenced these things. It was called How to Love, and we discussed the different categories of the neighbor because you notice that super broad definition that you noted was very broad there's a lot that's where the digging goes is who really needs help in what way because certain people you give something to it actually becomes counterproductive yeah that's right and so jesus christ gave in one of his talks he talked about the helping the hungry the thirsty the stranger the naked the sick the imprisoned swedenborg says those are actually correspondences for the spiritual and mental states that people can need help in as well that's right. And so, in other words, yes, physical hunger is something that really needs to be taken care of. And then there's also a spiritual hunger and being able to recognize who's spiritually hungry as opposed to who's spiritually thirsty. Mm. Because uh, you, if the person was predominantly thirsty, if you give them spiritual food, they might get even thirstier. Yeah. You know, and you haven't solved the problem as wisely as you might. It's amazing to me to think about these people. Uh, and and can, I, can I cut yeah. in for a second? Oh. Because I'm just thinking, if, if you don't know what spiritual hunger and thirst are, that would be, so someone who's spiritually hungry is looking for love. Where spiritually thirsty, you're looking for truth. So that's right. if you have someone who's hurting and needs some kind of love, but you're just like, well, here's doctrine, here's doctrine. Yeah. Or, or the other reverse of that, which if somebody... Uh, really wants principles by which to align themselves, and you're just like, we we love you, we yeah. love you. Okay, good so. job, good job. Yeah, so that's, just, a, that's yeah. a great example. And there are other categories that Swedenborg talks about that came from that ancient wisdom uh, that are mentioned in this kind of code of correspondences in the Bible, uh, things like the poor, the oppressed, the the widowed, the orphaned, the blind, the lame, the maimed, and so on. Uh, often scriptures talking about these categories of people and Swedenborg says that's got hidden information in it about these types of the neighbor that there used to be this wisdom about. How often do we sit down? How often are we talking on TV about what kind of help do what people need? But back then mm. they realized this is the most important thing in life. Yeah. So study that. That's what's going to make you you know, your parents will say, when you grow up, I hope you're a, a charityologist, you know? Yes, right. So for those ancient people, right. the categories were for learning how to best help people according to what they were dealing with. Mm. So knowing how to lend effective aid. Yeah, Swedenborg talks about this in Secrets of Heaven 6705. The ancients divided the neighbor into categories and named the categories after those people in the world who seemed more in need of aid than others. Sounds like step one is just identify the needs, <laughs> right? Yep. They also taught each other how to exercise neighborly love to the members of one category and to the members of another. Yeah. This person needs tough love. I was just this person needs something very tender. Yeah, th mm -hmm. this kind of thing. That's how they organized the teachings and brought their lives in line with the teachings. So it was very practical emphasis. It wasn't sort of 
ah, the theoretical astronomy of, right. uh, you know, or something abstract. This meant that the teachings of their religion contained rules on how to live. The teachings also showed them the character of this or that other person in the church whom they called sister or brother, though with differences in the inner meaning of the term. Mm. So ancient people pursued this wisdom about themselves, about each other, in order to know how best. And isn't that the, isn't that the highest uh, pursuit to try to figure out what people need yeah. and to administer it most effectively? That was what the real ancient wisdom was, to know best how to help and how to love effectively. Yeah. No? I think that this mm. is something we can apply to our society as it exists, and I could see it. You know, we tried to focus on it some, but I could see it, and definitely there's room to upgrade it. You th I think about people who are um, in businesses that are making products and trying to serve the community, but really looking at how, what exactly is the whole impact of this service, and does this, is this, do people really need this? How is this affecting the whole? Is there a better way we could be serving this population? Right. Or even when you're, you're stepping back and thinking, okay, I want to start a new product, even beyond, well, what could I do that would work right now? Is where's the need in society that's not being met, and how could I effectively address that? Yes, and there may be ways to uh, address it, which almost have an addictive quality that'll make the person hungrier later, yeah. and they'll have to come back and get more. Or are there ways that you can do it in which it's going to affect long-term change? It's just going to make things permanently better yeah. for them, and, and go for that higher good. And just thinking, like, what's the underlying causes of everything? What what's what really untangles everything, and wh where are the greatest needs? Mm. I, w I was just listening to a podcast that was looking at the the justice system in the United States and looking at all the different factors that can cause problems, and where where are the bottlenecks? What is it putting pressure on what? Those kinds of things would be what you what you'd ha want to have the greatest minds all piled in on and trying to figure out hard. Yeah, and so today, inspiring. Today we could still pursue this knowledge about other people, but not, the problem is some people will want to find out what other people are like so that they can judge them or point out further how they're wrong and their group is right. Feel superior, that's yeah. always fun. So it's again, motivation for it. it doesn't, you can do all this great work, but if you're doing it for the wrong reason, it's not gonna help anyone. Yeah, and that stunning idea that you see in the Bible, and you see in Swedenborg's works, to love others for their sake, expecting nothing in return. That's awesome. That's good. Okay, so how's all this striking you? We want to hear from you all, and we're going to get to some live question and answer. So get your um, typing ready in the YouTube chat, and we'll pick up some questions. If anybody has any, if you don't, no big deal. Okay, let's go. We'd love to know what's on your mind. Did any of this strike you, or is there anything we didn't explain fully, or do you have a new thought for us to ponder over mm -hmm. as we go in? So if you're in the chat room, just type in your questions. Our good people there will bring them, put them on the screen here, and we'll get right to it. Okay, let's see what people are thinking about. Martha Cates asks, how do we know what our life's purpose is? If we are here for lessons, why do some die so young? Have they completed their purpose? Mm. And you could say, well, who are we to say whether, why people die or that sort of thing? But there is, and we've featured it on this show before, a smoking gun entry in Swedenborg's Journal of Spiritual Experiences where he lists four reasons 
why we have the lifespans that we have. Do you remember that, what I'm talking about? Yes. Yeah, I do. I don't know if I can let's, rhyme them all off. Let's see we if we try. can get them. Let's see if we can get them together. One is for your your function in this world, who you're benefiting in this world. Yes. Of just other people who benefit in this the, world. The ripple effects of what you do for a living, what your relationships are like, what what you do in your spare time. That's right. So that is taken into account. It may not seem to be when somebody's taken young. Yeah. But that is taken into account. But also the function you perform for spirits in the other world by you being here. You know, there are spirits who yeah. are sort of working with you and you're part of a, of a team, whether you know it or not. And, and so it has an impact on them when you pop off. So. And really uh, a two-way relationship with the angels and spirits. You might think of angels are up there and they're just doing us a favor by even paying attention to us. But Swedenborg does talk about us being a plane in which their joys terminate. That if we weren't here serving this as a foundation, they couldn't be having their thoughts. So this is something that you'd never think without Swedenborg yeah. is that, oh, like, look at who am I? What am I doing? Is it, would anyone notice if I was gone? One of the things you're doing is, is providing a vital link between the spiritual and physical world that you may not know the nature of even. That's great because you're different than any other person. And I know that, I think the fourth one is your usefulness in the other world. Uh, and I can't remember the third. Well, but let's talk about the fourth one. Uh, I do remember the third. So okay. I, I'll see if I still great. remember this it by the great. time we get there. Two minds are better than one. But <laughs> Or two half minds are as good as, <laughs> yeah, good as one. Great. The... Um, Okay, so what was the fourth one? Uh, your f usefulness in the other world. That, so when you get there, you're yeah. going to be doing something in that world just as you were here. So Now this, this might not, this, it's no fun if, if somebody you love dies and somebody says, well, God needed a, an angel in heaven. Right. It's, you know, it can be, some people may find it comforting, others could find that a slap in the face. That's right. However, Swedenborg does seem to allude to that. He talks about the grand human being of heaven and there being deficient, when, when an area gets deficient, it seems like you, it may be that, well, we need you here, so we're going to move you here because now That's is the right. time. So it seems like that, that does come into play. And then the third one is... Uh, your regeneration. Yes, of course. Yes, because uh, sometimes for some people, Swedenborg does it well done, because Swedenborg <laughs> says that if, if you stay here, it might either allow you to get better or it might actually allow you to see some dark things in yourself that need to be cleared out and would be better to be cleared out here. Yeah. So actually three of the four are reasons why you don't die yes. kind of thing, but you know why the timing of it. And so what I find comforting about that passage is that there's a whole committee that works on, <laughs> so to speak, uh, what, your, what your time frame is. And you notice in near-death experiences, uh, the people on the other side always seem to know, like it's not your time yet yeah. or you know, that, that kind of thing. They seem to get the memo. Down here, we don't know what's going on. It all seems so random. It's such a fascinating thought that I don't know the... I don't know the headlines in my own life story that I may think I oh I'm assessing how well my life is going. Mm. I didn't get this job. This person said something mean to me, so my life is going poorly. But that the actual things that matter, like my spiritual growth that will affect who I am to eternity, I don't, I very much don't know the state of that. And that that could be factoring into the, my longevity here. Mm. And the only, all that stuff can seem weird and cold. In, if, if you're thinking on a short time scale, if you're thinking 
in eternity, of course, if there's something crucial for you, for your development, that it's time for you to transition worlds because this is going to have an eternal impact. Of course, by the end, we're all going to be there together and we're going to say, yeah. of course, this was right. That's right. And people who die very young are different than people who live through this world. They, they just have a different way of seeing life because they grew up in heaven. They didn't know that the kind of, the kind of, they have their own struggles, but they don't have these kind of struggles here. And you have to have people that are different in order to make the heaven thing work and but that's not but then okay and we'll move on from the question but well we, we we've got another half of the question to get to which oh. is the life's purpose piece right okay 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 well i was just going to say it doesn't mean that god is sitting there killing people but but it has no. to do with there's right. certain evils which can't be permitted because in the end good will come out and that's we did a million shows about that that's a whole thing okay second half that's right yeah it's absolutely and it's not sort of like a cruel thing of like yank you know or something it's all worked out there's an order to it now how do we know what our life's purpose is and if we're here for these lessons do some people get the lessons more quickly just talking from my own experience with people uh, I have met some people who died young, had, had severe physical difficulties or whatever. I don't know if it was because of the suffering or whatever. They seemed really, really wise beyond their years. You know, mm -hmm. it seemed like they sort of got somewhere in a shorter span. But I also, I don't know if this is controversial. Yeah, I don't even know if you'll, you'll well, like this or not. But I think that... Okay, I, Stuart, get ready to cut. I, I'm not sure um, that we have a specific purpose that was sort of foreordained for us or so you know like, like as if oh you might be missing it I, I really think this is something that God works out with each of us in a kind of a parlez-vous like it like there's an exchange about it or something that well what do you like what you know to some extent I think we get to kind of de decide that a little bit you know it's sort of a, a voyage of discovery and everything learning about yourself but I think we can there's some level of choice yeah. that we have. It's not just that you are born with one thing. It's like, I was hoping you would do this and you didn't do it. You know, I, I don't think it's like that. I think, I think it's a little different. What, I like what do you think? Oh, well, what I like about what we're doing here is we're into the ring's true territory. Oh, nice. Aren't we? <laughs> I like what you did there. That, just like in the beginning, what, what rings true and that you're, you're, you're saying, like, this is what I think feels right. And so I, 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 I like what you're saying, and I'm going to give what I've, has been ringing true for me, which is that I I don't think right that I like I don't think there's a specific I don't think I have a specific life purpose. Like I was meant to do this episode of Swedenborgian Life because then that would go do something, and I need to go do that. Um, it's all small potatoes compared to regeneration. Right. That that who the the my life's purpose is for God to make me into the person that he needs me to be right that that's right that's um that's the purpose and that's something that or, or at least start that process right and and the the best way to fulfill the highest purpose is to lay aside the evils that get in the way yes kind of thing and so you could sort of feel like well my purpose is to you know, strangle as many people as possible or something, you know. Yeah. Uh, but that, no, that's not I'm good. I'm glad you, you gave that lay, up. Yeah. Lay that aside. Yeah, yeah, I did. It was difficult to, to give that up. But So, and I'm, because I like the point you made as to why, because people will, will be hounded by, oh, I don't feel like I'm fulfilling who I should be or am I missing out on my destiny. That's a source of stress 
that, right. that I don't think, I don't think that's how it goes. And who am I? But this is just what, what rings true for me is that I don't think that's how it goes. That there's particular thing we need. To, everything we're doing has a, Swedenborg has a quote that every moment has a series of consequences that extend to eternity. It's not like, let's say my life's purpose was I was going to go do something when I'm 41 that's important. My life right now isn't just filler. Right. That this is, this is affecting what this situation here is affecting you and me and the people on the internet and who knows, Stuart, uh, who's off the screen over there, and whoever else in ways that we don't all fully understand. And it's always that the Lord, it's not, I don't even know what I'm doing, but God is going to come in and do something through this moment and through every moment. Yeah. That's going to somehow, it's uh, like I, I gave this talk once about Swedenborg stuff, that what I like about it is that everything that really matters is simple, humble, and accessible. That it's not the grandiose, you, you only got one shot. Right, right. And I don't know if I've expressed this on the show before, but it's true that for many years, I was sort of saying these prayers about saying, God, I want whatever the, your highest purpose is for me. I, okay. You know, I'm, I'm seeking your, your will for me and everything. And I felt like God was saying to me, well, I'm interested in what you want. And I would keep saying, well, I want to know what you want so that I can do it. And he kept saying, oh, what, what, what do you like? You know, what are you interested yeah. in? <laughs> and we kept having this awkward conversation until I finally realized, oh, okay. You know, he wants to connect with something in me where I actually love this or I value this. And then yeah. he said, okay, great, let's go with that. Uh, there's this interesting Swedenborg quote about... Um that there's a that God is trying to build a specific house. You know, oh, yeah. think of our life. Right. But the order in which we obtain the materials is is not set in stone. No, that, that's right. So I, I love the idea of That's good. I don't want responsibility for the outcome of this, but we've got to engage like you've got to you know, go at this like it's it's just yours. I can't give you the marching orders that you so desperately want. Right. Yeah. And if something tragic happens or whatever, uh, the Lord sort of like, this is driftwood. This would look cool in the front hall. You know, we, oh, can, yeah. we can use it, right? Right, like he, right, every, right? He's the master of, we can use this. Okay. I think we talked Good talked in circles for a while about yeah. that. Great question. Thank you so much. Let's see what the next one is. The questions are always better than the answers, aren't they? Oh, universally. Bella asks, do loved ones know when we are going through a hard time? I started missing my mother so bad, intensely, I really felt she was near. Mm. Are they aware? Again, it seems like you couldn't have it so that Bella is feeling that her mother is near at a time when she's hurting and that the, the love that they had, that, that, oh, no, but actually she's nowhere around and there's no connection there. There's got to be something. Because the answer, the true answer can't be uh, cold and weird. It's got to be. That's whether, right. Whether, what, You're doing it again. Yeah, what, this is what's ringing true, <laughs> is you know, whatever the exact mechanics of it, whether, however that works, whether it's that her mother is sitting there and seeing her Bella and saying, I, I miss, I'm right here, I'm taking care of you, or that at the same time her mother's feeling that, Bella's, or, I mean, that, that Bella's mother's feeling that, uh, that Bella's feeling that her mother is off in, in her life in spiritual world, but yet starts to think of Bella. What, however it goes, it's got to be something that would make a good little movie you know that, that would move you and you say yeah that that does that does show the power of love even over this terrible separation right yeah, so it's got to be right. it's there and Swedenborg describes this mechanism that thought 
brings presence and love brings conjunction, which means like a partnership or a joining together or something. And um, so if you're thinking intensely about your mother, like that, that is a form of presence, a kind of spiritual presence yeah. of a kind. And I, I really believe that. And, and, and if there's love, the emotion that's attached to it, you know, is even a greater kind of bond that's there. And Swedenborg does, there are some passages where he says they do know our thoughts and feelings, our loved ones on the other yeah. side, know uh, what we're thinking and feel. They may not know which store we're in or what we're wearing today or what our hair is doing or something, but I think they know our thoughts and feelings. And he, okay, so how's this? And especially that deep stuff. Okay. You know, where, yeah. where you're going through a really difficult time. I think they pick that up. Okay, I'm going to do some entrapment here. Okay. okay, good. So, isn't it true that Swedenborg talks about there's this pretty intimate connection with the angels who are with us, the angelic yes. society that true. we're connected with? Now, he doesn't talk about that as being relatives or loved ones, it's just your angelic true. society. However, did he not? In an, in an entry in his journals of spiritual experiences, talk about being admitted into a spiritual society in a palace. There was a room that got to be his, and in that same palace was Jasper Svedberg. His father. So It's true. I rest my case. Okay, so doesn't that mean that for Swedenborg, it seems like his angelic community contained his father? Yes. So if, couldn't it be that these very angels that we're in community with are these... In, in many cases, are these people we love? Yeah, and it kind of there again, it has the ring of truth, doesn't it? I don't mm. know if it happens 100% of the time, no. but it has the ring of truth. It could. That it would help them because they're going through stuff, and so their being with you helps them in their process and it helps you with your process. And who knows you better, right, right. Than, right. than somebody? Uh, so it's not guaranteed because there's some people who don't want those fam That's familial right. connections. That's right, can and, be difficult. And, yeah. and he certainly describes meeting people who you'd never known, but you feel like they're your, they're your closest You're family. Lost. Yeah. So there's, right. there's that possible scenario. He, that we just recently had a show in which a family going back multiple generations were all led into That's the right. same heaven at the same time. So it could be any there one of go. those. I rest, I think, I rest I, my case. Yes, Okay. I think your case is even better rested now than it was. <laughs> let's go, let's do another one. Kendall M. asks, I understand why we need God, but why does God need us? Because we need God because, well, I need a lot of help and it seems like God is the only real game in town. I mean, that's the perspective I have right now as a person. It's like, okay, will you lift me out of my, my uh, struggles? Yeah, I'll, right. I'll hang out with you. But yeah, what's, what, does, what is the impetus for creation? Is it just, does it just the feeling that I had when I wanted to get a fish tank, and I was like, I just want some fish. I just want fish in a fish tank. Is that what God is feeling? What, what does God, why does God have us around? Well, I, I have a, a strange answer has come to me, uh, which is that you could say, uh, your feet could say, I need you. But you say, well, why do you need your feet? <laughs> well, that's how I walk. I really need my feet, you know. Yeah. Uh, uh, people are the Lord's hands and feet, the Lord's body. This is in the in the Bible and mm -hmm. the epistles and and so on. And um, uh, there's a beautiful statement that Swedenborg says in Heaven and Hell at one point that when the Lord appears among angels in heaven, He doesn't appear as like 
a king or a queen uh, with an entourage or something. Uh, you just see one person. Like in other words, there were all these people there, but then they, they became him. Mm-hmm. They all sort of, one is the arm and the other's the leg. And, the, and, and, uh, and so why does he need it? Uh, Swedenborg says at one point that God cannot directly, directly do good to anybody in this world. You know, he can't just pick up a piece yeah. of food and stick it in somebody's mouth. You know, uh, right. uh, we are literally his, his hands and feet. So he, he totally needs us to get, get stuff done. Okay, well, correspondences hit me just now, which is, uh, there's, uh, Swedenborg asserts many times that the relationship of parent to child is like God to us. Mm. And I have a daughter who's super cute and she's two. Why does she need me? Well, she doesn't know how to do much stuff. Yeah, that's she right. She doesn't know how to prep food. She doesn't know how to not run into traffic. She doesn't know how to get these two little sticky glitter things apart. She needs me for a lot of stuff. That's right. Why do I need her? I know how to get food. I know how to stop a cursive park. I was actually doing just fine economically <laughs> and otherwise. Why do I need her? Yeah. That's not even a question. Yeah. Like, she, I need her. Would you go back before? You wouldn't I, go back? Yeah. No, I mean, the, I need her more than she needs me. I because I need her because I, she's so cute and I love her. And there's, there's got to be some deeper truth. That, that, that's a living experience. Yeah, you're that, having that experience. That, that's right. why, that, there's, that's not the only reason, but there's, there's, some, there's an echo of the reason why God needs us. Yeah, just joy. Just joy, joy and, and we're going somewhere amazing. They're, yeah, are going to do so. In the end, and we're, we're going all, yeah. together. And I like the parent-child because as she grows up, in a way, you understand each other better and better. You know yeah. what I mean? Like you're more on the same page. And I, I think that's what we're doing to eternity with, with the Lord. Oh yeah, and eventually I need her tangibly to, you know, uh, take you. take me out to the store and and take care of me when I don't remember things. That's right. And that kind of thing. All right, that's the end. We, I could do these all day, but we won't. But, but hint, hint, we'll do it next week, but we'll get to that in a second. For now, let's, let's get into a further conversation with somebody from the audience. Mm-hmm. We have a recording of our segment that we like to call Guest Story. You may remember... This was a couple of shows back, if anyone hasn't seen it. We did a one-off live show. Well, I think we called it Sweden, Swedenborg's Influence. Oh, right. We talked about how, how Swedenborg, this obscure, weird, Christian, mystic, talk-to-spirits guy that you'd never heard about till you f- saw the YouTube show or whatever, he um, actually has changed the world in some cases. He's influenced a lot of people that you may have heard of or that have done things that you've seen and participated in. So in that show, there was a book that we referred to that was called Swedenborg and Jung. Maybe you've heard of Carl Jung and his impact on modern psychology. Well, Jung was at least read a significant amount, six fat volumes or seven fat volumes, as he says, of Swedenborg. So the guy who wrote this book, Brian O'Neill, we happened to get a conversation with him going. He's a psychologist who also has become a Swedenborgian minister. And so he's 
kind of represents the intersection of these worlds. So I got to talk to him. You're going to hear his dog make an appearance, but don't worry. Good. We figured out a way around that. Anyway, so this is the, what Brian had to say. Hey, everybody. I'm excited to be here talking to Brian O'Neill right now. Last episode, we referenced a book called Swedenborg and Young, and he's the guy who wrote that book. So, Brian, thanks so much for taking the time to, to chat today. Great to talk to you all the way across the world. <laughs> it's a, a miracle of technology. So, Brian, uh, I'd just love to start by asking, as I like to with anyone who I find who's into Swedenborg's works, how did you start? How did you first come across Swedenborg and, and uh, what made it interesting to you? It's, it's been a journey. I, uh, I was thinking about this uh, just last night. Um, I first uh, found out about Swedenborg through Wilson Van Dusen's books, which was like, um, oh, 20 odd years ago at least, 1986 it was. And my best friend had just died and uh, we were going away to have some time out. And I bought a lot of books and I bought these two little books that were really inexpensive, um, Presence of Other, uh, Other Worlds and Natural Depth in Man. And I thought Presence of Other Worlds were about uh, extraterrestrials. <laughs> and that became the beginning, the first step of a thousand kilometer journey, really. Um, so uh, I, got deeply into Swedenborg. I realized what he meant, what he had done, and what interested me the most was the, is my, can you hear my dog barking? That's all right, he can be a little part of the interview, that's fine. Because I can let him come in and he'll be quiet. Sure, all right, yeah, let's go for it. I know how it is, I've, I've got a dog as well, and when he's ready to come in, he's not gonna stop until you let him in, so. Great. Exactly right. Okay, well then, uh, okay, continue uh, where you were. Um, I mean, like, for example, one of the silly things I did was I read the Arcana from beginning to end. Wow. And I remember doing that. And I remember towards the last couple of books thinking, this is becoming awfully repetitious. And my brain just was struggling to take it all in. So I was trying to do it at an intelligence level, I think. <laughs> and... Uh, because I'm a Gestalt therapist and a psychologist, what interested me most in Swedenborg was he was talking about his direct experiences. So when I got hold of the uh, spiritual diary that was quite a find, and also the uh, Journal of Dreams in particular, and now I often reread Journal of Dreams without Van Dusen's commentary just to read the actual experiences themselves which uh, I find deeply moving. And what's this come to mean now after 40 years as a psychologist? And I uh, was ordained in 2004 as a Swedenborg minister here in Australia. Uh, what it's come to mean to me is an integration of spirituality and psychology. Mm. And I'm writing a book about that at the moment because I think when I work with people who had psychotic disorders, as Van Dusen did, I did the same technique as he did and talked to the voices through the person. And I realized these folks were basically connected into the spirit realm, unbeknown to themselves. And with all the people I see nowadays, it 
what I've picked up is I think a lot of depression and anxiety, which is so prevalent, is actually almost like an undercurrent of the spirit world touching into people's awarenesses and creating the various dark thoughts and other issues that they're dealing with. So when I'm working with people, I don't, a lot of people not ready to hear that really or not interested in that area of concern. So I just call it your dark thoughts and your light thoughts and we work with that in a gestalt way. So um, to me there's an integration starting to happen between psychology and spirituality. Yeah, well, I'm, I'm excited about that book, to say the least. I mean, that's one of my favorite subjects is sort of where do those two intersect. I'm so glad to hear that you're working on that. So that's obviously Swedenborg's concept of the spiritual world being connected to the mind it has been helpful for you. Are there any other concepts that, or any parts of that concept that stand out as being useful tools in your life and in your work? I think um, the, the thing that impacts me the most I don't know. Is Jeffrey Charles a relative of yours? Yeah. Oh, so that would be my grandfather, if you're thinking of, um, yeah, Reverend Jeffrey Childs. Oh, uh, yeah, yeah. Because, I mean, he did his first book, The Golden Thread, as you know. Um, That's right. Which was an attempt to combine the two fields. Uh, however, he did that more from a, I think, church perspective. And I think today people are more interested in a wider spirituality, particularly Buddhism gets a lot of people interested and psychology has a whole range of uh, interest groups here in Australia, Buddhism, Sufism, Christianity. I've got some people who saw me only because I'm a Christian as a psychologist. Yeah. Um, which is fascinating. And a number of people tell me I'm a spiritual psychologist. I'm not sure where they get that from, but I draw, I draw from a whole range of things. I sometimes show people, other books like Urquhart Tolle's experiences because of the change that happened to him. A lot of people are interested in meditative states, so I'll give them parts out of Van Dusen's book, The Design of Existence, the chapter on meditation. Um, I think the two fields are very slowly coming together. And I was impressed with Eben Alexander's recent book, The Map of Heaven. Right. And I often share that with clients. I even share the invisible police with some clients to take away, read, and bring back, uh, particularly those that are interested in the maybe something after death. I often talk about near-death experience with people because that's got a scientific aspect to it. So I find myself moving between uh, the main interests of the person and then where understanding spirituality might help I even keep a um, copy of Heaven and Hell in my bookcase and I show them the quote on the front. Yeah. The reason we're connected between the two is to have freedom. And that brings us to a discussion about not trying to get rid of darkness, which is what a lot of people try and do. I explain, well, that's pretty much impossible because that's part of how we're made up. We have day and light and we have dark and good thoughts. And your dark thoughts are things that you learn to accommodate to and choose good thoughts. And so that pretty much is the simple way I do my practice now, I think. <laughs> that's wonderful. I mean, that, that's, that's a great work. It sounds like you're doing. And uh, 
I just really appreciate getting to hear a little bit about it. And again, uh, let us know when, you, when your uh, next book comes out and we'll be sure to let people know it's there. Great. Cool. Thank you so much, Brian. Very nice to meet you. Nice to meet you too, Curtis. Lovely. Enjoyed that a lot to get to talk oh. with him. Awesome. And he read all, all the Secrets of Heaven or the Arcana through. Oh. Yeah, in English, I know that in, uh, I'm more familiar with it in Latin, of course, but in the Latin, it's 4,562 pages, and each of those turns into two, two and a half English pages, so you've gotten 10,000, 10, 12,000 pages or something. It, that's what we call the deep end, you know, yeah. I mean, to, to go through that whole thing is kind of amazing. In that interview, he mentioned quite a few books. Yes, and just in case you found the, the whole subject he was talking about interesting and you want a reference on those books, you would do well to pause the following screen where we will display all of them for you. Uh, you know, notable in there, there's a couple of Swedenborg Foundation published, the Wilson Van Dusen ones, Design of Existence and Presence of Other World. Um, there's, there is The Golden Thread by my grandfather, Jeffrey Childs, who actually, uh, Brian had said, was one of his favorites when, when he read it. Um, any in, in there that, that strike you? Oh, I, I just, I love a lot of those books. I've read most of them, I think, but The Map of Heaven was cool, I thought, by Evan Alexander, I think his second book after his near-death experience. And also The Presence of Other Worlds was very impactful on me, Lovely. where uh, Van Dusen actually sits down with psychotics and he's having conversations with their spirits that are above the like education level of the person sitting on the other side of the de you know yeah. like it really made Van Dusen think wait I'm talking to somebody other than you know this is not a voice in someone's head right this is a being this is a real being with a mind and we certainly dipped into that in a couple of shows uh, on this channel all right so now we made a promise earlier in the show that we were going to take people's response to the icebreaker question okay. and look at it. So now we're going to make good mm. on that promise. It's time for the ice melter. So what did everybody have to say? The, the question, if you remember it from the beginning, was what makes a spiritual concept ring true to you? And this, mm. in five pages, is what y'all had to say. Okay. It begins. I get a feeling that it's right, and when it's wrong, I get a feeling. Nice. Does it come from love? Mm. Two or more different sources. Oh, oh I like that. Yes, right. If it's one, if it's one off, corroboration. It may not be the right. Comparing what the Bible says, mm -hmm. it has to point to a God worth worshiping. <laughs> Gut feeling. If the idea or truth makes me feel good or doesn't make me feel guilty then it rings true. Nice. If it makes sense to me and goes with the moral that my heart believes in, it just feels like I already know it. Yeah, I like that. I like that. It has a secular correspondence and has long-term mutually good effects. Mm. A spiritual concept rings true to me when it makes sense and when it is rational and devoid of circular babble. Yeah, and going back to that secular correspondence, I like that because if you can think of something in nature that does the, that thing, mm. yeah, that helps me a lot. That's we great. used that earlier in the show too, right? When something comes up three or more times, I figure I'm supposed to at least pay attention. Nice. It feels right, makes sense within. Mm. When a concept has love, I feel it is true. Nice. Intuition over curiosity. Whether it questions if I'm being loving to someone else, especially if I disagree with them. Mm. If a concept gives you a feeling of peace. Mm. Uh, yeah. Uh, who is this? The, the wind and the waves of Bam. Like if, if it calms the mind down, 
There's oh, something. nice. Yes, the Lord's in it. The right. logic of it and quality of transcendent love. Mm. There's just a taste of that. If it aligns with being useful and helpful, then I know it's true. It rings true to me when I feel it deep in my psyche. You just know it. Mm. Interesting question. I think something rings true for me when I feel the speaker is speaking from the heart, from her or his own experience, and when it matches something in my experience. Ah, that's good, because someone can't hack into your experience. Mm -hmm. Right. The new spiritual concept calms my spirit, opens a new pathway of thought for me that piques my interest to learn more. Mm. Jonathan is right when truths are in line with other truths. Hey, hey that man. might be a first. <laughs> well, you want to get that framed? I discern the genuine motive for selfless love for both individuals and the universe. Mm. The consistency of Swedenborg made me a believer. Yeah, consistency. That's good. When I ask Spirit for three confirmations and they come out of the blue without me expecting them, nice. when that happens, I just know the concept is true and valuable for me. Mm. So there you go. Great. Good. And thanks to Karin for thinking of that, that question. And thanks to all of you for pouring your your thought and your life experience into it. Look, at, we just get the feast on this buffet of people having thought about this throughout their life. And then, bam, we get a lot bam. smarter from it. That's so great. Appreciate it very much. And so much fun hanging out with you, getting to that chat through this, Curtis. think things over. Um, we would like to invite you all to like and subscribe now. Have you changed your mind? You didn't want to do it in the beginning, but now would you do us a solid? <laughs> and if you subscribe, click the little bell. Because then you'll get notifications and know whenever we make a show. But if you really want to be part of the engine that drives this whole thing, consider making a financial contribution to this program. We're a nonprofit, so we don't charge you anything. We don't even run ads on this program. This is all about us trying to get unfettered That's spiritual true. comfort and truth to people. So if you feel in a place where you can help make that happen, please do. One fun way to do that is by going to patreon.com slash off the left eye and signing up to be a patron of the program. That means you make a little monthly donation to us yeah, and it could be a dollar a show dollar yeah. five dollars whatever and we say thank you by giving you some behind the scenes stuff you know stuff that that happens in between takes or things that didn't make it into the show or further explanations of things just a little thank you from us to you and we we want to thank everyone right now who is a patron and a or and or a donor to the Sweetmore Foundation. This is how we do what we do. Thank you so much, everyone. Next week, I really enjoyed the Q and A today. I was yeah, feeling like this fun? is fun to think it over, and I don't know if that feeling was mutual with the audience there, but hopefully so because next week it's going to be a full Q and A show, and it won't just be us. There's going to be special yeah, guests and friends us. there. We're going to have all the questions you can possibly think of sort of we're going to answer as many as we can in the time allotted we hope you'll join us next monday eight o'clock for another live show and this one a question and answer show in the meantime hope you have a wonderful weekend thanks again jonathan rose great fun curtis thank you swedenborg and life live is curtis childs host and showrunner with co-host jonathan rose live stream tech and graphics by stuart farmer and matthew childs show writing and chat moderation by karen childs and chelsea odner